Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome back. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, our first playoff edition of the Thursday uh, show. It's Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoo with you for the next hour or so. Our pal Jesse Granger's back this week for little Granger things. I'm just curious to know what Jesse Granger, the guy who covers the Vegas Golden Knights for a living, what's this guy up to? Uh, he's never experienced this before, missing out on the playoffs. So Jesse's going to drop by. We'll chat a little bit about, uh, I think, Vegas's uh, season-ending uh, press conferences, kind of uh, the dust settling there, and uh, and then certainly hit on some some playoff topics with him. Speaking of the playoffs, I don't think we've ever seen a year with this many third string goalies. Forget about backups; we're talking third stringers coming in. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, some some fun with Louis Deming's <laughs> comments uh, post game uh, after game one. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out where things are at if we can get a read on Toronto, Tampa, Edmonton, L.A., uh, the Florida Panthers. Are they in trouble? Uh, but as we kick things off, we got some some fun mailbag questions too. But where I want to start things off, Sean, is with the commissioner's comments. Gary Bettman has been kind of doing a little bit of a tour uh, here, uh, been showing up to to various games and and doing some availabilities. And before we play his comments, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the playoff format here in the NHL because it's up for debate. Uh, you know, the way we do it now with, with crossovers and wild cards. Like, like if I made you commissioner for a day, Sean, what are you doing? Are you doing anything to the playoff format? I am probably looking at the playoff format. Uh, it's not my first order of business. You know, when, when, we're, when people are running for president, sometimes they talk about the day one list. Uh, I don't think this is on my day one list. I've got, I'm, I'm a guy who does a lot of, uh, complaining and criticizing about the NHL. And there are some things that I just think you absolutely have to fix. The the, the point system and uh, among others, uh, the replay system. That's the stuff I would focus on uh, when I'm commissioner. But yeah, I, I would like to to work with the format. I, I, I do think at this point, I've, I've converted back to uh, wanting to see a, a one through eight uh, in the conference, I I did buy into the one through four of the divisions. I loved growing up with divisional rivalries in the playoffs, uh, I, but I've come to concede that rivalries today in the NHL are just not what they used to be. And also, having eight team divisions, it just doesn't serve up the same matchups often enough to to be worth it. So I, I think going one through eight and then doing a reseed in the final four, I think works. As far as expanding the playoffs. I do like the idea of a play-in. I have uh, I, I've I've come on board on this, and and I've I've been on board for a few years, and uh, I I like the NBA style. I'm, I'm sort of getting my head around that. Uh, if 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 people don't know, I, you know, I had long thought, hey, we'll do seven versus ten and eight versus nine, and they'll play either a game or a mini three-game series. Um, the way the NBA does it is they go seven versus eight and nine versus ten, and the winner of seven versus eight moves on. You win one game, you're through. And then the loser of that game plays the winner of nine versus 10. So basically, you're guaranteed of those seven and eight teams, one of them is going to make it. And the other one has a very good chance to make it. And if you finish seven and eight, you've got two shots, basically two swings versus nine and 10 have got to go two and oh uh, to make it through. So it, it does weight it certainly to, towards those finishing seventh or eighth. I like that idea. Um, and I'm I'm I, I I'm not so sold on it that I don't see other points of view. Um, I wish the NHL was willing to to discuss it and debate it. 
and they don't seem to be as as we're about to hear. Yeah, and exactly. In fact, that's the perfect place for us to drop this in. So this is Gary Bettman from Wednesday night in Edmonton uh, doing a media session, just kind of one of these general state of the league things, and the topic of playoff expansion, uh, expanding the format, changing the format comes up. Have a listen. Here's Commissioner Gary Bettman. There was a time where 16 of 21 teams made the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now you have 16 of 32. And that, obviously... That was too many, and this is right. Is, is, it, is it right? Because obviously this is a great scene, and, and it could be replicated in other cities. Other leagues are going to play. The, the, and are you... Re, the reason this is as good as it is is because the regular season and the playoffs are meaningful. Having half of our teams eligible, I think, is the right balance. I think it creates... Uh, great competition throughout the regular season, makes the games most meaningful, and there's nothing like our playoff tournament. Stanley Cup is the hardest to win, and there's nothing in any sport like our first round. So there's no talk of maybe ha- having that play-in system like other leagues are? Kind of- no. And in fact, if you, if you look at our record in terms of number of games in the first round compared to others, we typically get more six- and seven-game series. I, I think what we have now, and most people in our game think what we have now is working quite well. I, listen, I love the fact that people are so passionate about the game that there's always a debate about what we can change, okay? But change for the sake of change, or change because somebody else is doing it differently, under the right circumstances can make sense. But for us right now, we like where we are. We think the game's in really good with the uh, you guys have put a big focus back on divisional play which i think is great fans love rivalries in a situation like the east right now where you have four from the metro and four from the atlantic but they're crossed over has there ever been a conversation if it's four and four that we would just stick keep in our divisions for the first round we, we've had conversations about lots of things but we like what we have all right so what i took away from that is uh, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of room for movement from Gary Bettman at this particular juncture. The thing that I thought was really interesting, Sean, was him saying, look, when we had six, when it was a 21 league, uh, sorry, 21 team league, we had 16 teams make it. And he was like, that's too much, right? That's like 80% of your teams are making. He's like, that. that's too high of a percentage. He says, we got it just right now, 16 out of 32. And when you hear a lot of people saying they should expand the format, this is often the argument we use. It's like, well, look, They've, they've added 11 teams to the league, but they haven't added any playoff teams. Do you think 16 out of 32 is the right number for you? Uh, yes, I do think it's the right number. And I understand that, that people are, are now saying, okay, he just contradicted himself to what he said three minutes ago when he said he's in favor of play-in. Uh, to me, the answer is we do a play-in. And that play-in gets you into the playoffs. And then you've still got 16 playoff teams. So we don't count the, you know, we, you finish 10th, great. You didn't make the playoffs. You're not in the playoffs because you finished 10th. We don't have 20 playoff teams every year. We do have 20 teams that are eligible for the playoffs, of which whatever it would be, 12 would be through automatically. And then the, the, the other teams play for those last spots. And then if you still want to call that, once we finish the play-in and we're down to 16 teams, if you want to call that the playoffs and say, this is now round one, uh, I'm good with that. I, I, to me, that almost feels like a, a decent compromise. I agree with Gary Bettman. 16 out of 21 was too many. I'm a Leafs fan. I watched teams that had 55 points make the playoffs because there was a team with 53 points behind them in the, in the Norris division. Um, it was too much. Um, but... Uh, and, and, and I do love the full on 16 team format, no buys, no, you know, why the, the way that, uh, the way you see it in the NFL, uh, the way you see it, uh, to some extent in baseball with the wild card round. Um, I like the simplicity of it. I'm good with that. I would like to have a play in to get into there. Um, I don't think that's a contradiction. Uh, I think you can have a traditional 16 team playoff while also having a play-in that both makes the season more exciting and also uh, acknowledges the fact that, look, at the end of the day, are we that sure that the eighth team is better than the ninth team? Or do we acknowledge that, especially in an era where we have loser points and weird percentages and and everything, um, that those teams that are grouped there are often very, very close and maybe the best way to figure out who goes to the playoffs 
is that you just have them play head to head and let them sort it out on the ice. And and you know what? To me, what was a little disappointing was we kind of had the play in format in that COVID shortened 2020 season, right? Like, mm-hmm. like remember we we came out of it and only a handful of teams were guaranteed to start the quote unquote playoffs. And then you had all of, I don't have to remind Leafs fans, but like you had like, you know, yeah, Columbus, thanks. Toronto, and yeah, thanks for that. Uh, but, but you know, like, like we had, like to me, I was like, okay, well now we've opened up the the box. Like now we've done it. We've done it. Yep. We've done a play-in in the NHL. And then to hear that roughly two years later, uh, it doesn't feel like that's going to gain any traction was a little disappointing. The other thing I want to bring up, and I did look this up this morning, and I, if I'm, I don't believe I'm off. I think I looked it up. I think I'm pretty accurate on this. One of the things Gary Bettman said was, you know, if you look at it, we get more seven like series going to a, a seventh game in the first round than other leagues. And so I looked it up, and obviously football doesn't have the you know the best of seven format. But I thought the mm-hmm. NBA. I feel like the NBA and the NHL are somewhat comparable in terms of their their season and the structure and all that stuff. So I just looked it up over the last five years, Sean. Last five years, the NHL uh, has had six series that went to a seventh game in the first round, okay? So NHL, six series in round one have gone to a seventh game. The NBA has had seven. Wow. So, like, again- I'm very surprised about that because I'll tell you right now- Double check, but that's what I got. I'm I'm a cynic when it comes to Gary Bettman, but when he said that, I I just kind of nodded along and figured that was- uh, that, that sounded right to me. So I'm surprised. I, I would guess that if you expanded maybe the, the timeline, uh, you, you would get a different result, but yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the criticism, um, at least from hockey fans perspective of the NBA playoffs has always been that look, other than maybe the four versus five matchup, you always know who's going to win. Um, a one seed's always going to beat an eight seed. The, the two is almost always going to beat the seven because the NBA is a star driven league and the top teams um, tend to uh, tend to be significantly better versus the NHL, and not to open this whole debate, but in the NHL playoffs, anything can happen. Anybody can beat anybody. You have no idea, and some people love that. Some people absolutely love the excitement and the uncertainty and the unpredictability. And other people, and I'm kind of in this group, feel like it's gone too far, and we're just flipping coins now, and and nothing means anything. And you know, Gary Bettman talks about the regular season being meaningful, but is the regular season really meaningful when as soon as you get into the playoffs, series are all going seven games anyways because it turns out there's right. there's not a real significant difference. I, I, it it is an interesting debate to me. I think one thing that that really makes it maybe even more interesting this year, as we see the NBA uh, launching their new format, is I, I think you could look at especially this year's Eastern Conference and say right there is both your best and your worst uh, argument for this new format because Gary Bettman talks about the regular season being meaningful. Did it feel meaningful? If you're a fan of an Eastern conference team, when we knew all the playoff teams in November and for four months, five months, we're just playing for seating and even seating doesn't really matter. I mean, you, we, we know that uh, anybody can beat anyone. So really who even cares who you play or who has home ice. The last half of the season in the Eastern conference was completely meaningless. And if there had been a battle for those play in spots, then that would have added a little bit more intrigue. Now, the flip side of that is you look at those standings and you say, the eighth place Washington Capitals are a 100-point team. Are we honestly going to make them play the Blue Jackets who finished under 500, even factoring in the loser point? Are we honestly going to say the Blue Jackets and the Islanders deserve to be anywhere near the playoffs when teams like Washington, Boston, Pittsburgh, right ahead of them were well over 100 points? So again... I see both sides of that. I think it's an interesting debate. I would love the NHL to have the debate. What frustrates me here is Gary Bettman is basically slamming the door. Uh, and and you, he's saying it publicly. You hear it privately as well. People say, this is never going to get off the ground. Gary says no. And you know what? He's the commissioner. He's supposed to be the boss. I get it. If he really feels like this would be bad for the league, I don't mind him putting his foot down. But where is this on anything else? On all of the issues facing the game, where do you ever see Gary Bettman sit up there and kind of slam his fist on the table and say, this is how it's going to be? I feel strongly about this. You almost never see it. He's always equivocating. He's always kind of wishy-washy. 
And people run to his defense and they say, well, well, you can't expect Gary Bettman to, to, to do anything. He just works for the owners. They're the boss. He's just, I mean, to hear some people say it, he's an $8 million a year stenographer who, who just takes notes at the meetings and, and does whatever his bosses tell him to. That's clearly not the case because when it comes to things where, for whatever reason, he, he seems to be passionate about what the right answer is, um, he absolutely will get up there. And in, in this case, shut down a discussion before it even gets off the ground. Um, okay, maybe that's what leadership looks like. Where is it on everything else from this guy? And you know what? I think what, what frustrates me on the play-in, and I, I agree with you, Like, like, and maybe we need to set a threshold that if, if the ninth place team is within within X amount of points, yeah. maybe it's five you gotta points. you got to be within maybe 10 points or five. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have agreed with that before this year and, and seeing what the Eastern Conference looks like, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah, exactly. But- I think when I look back at the last few years, and, and probably more like 10 years, the most exciting regular season games down the stretch were the ones that organically produced a sort of play-in. Like, think of that Philly Rangers Game 82 yep. that went to a shootout in whatever year that was, 2010. Mm -hmm. And it was like, people are like, my my God, like, inject this into my veins. This is unbelievable, right? Like, And, and you remember, as a, as a Toronto fan way back in the day, the, the Todd Gill, what? Chicago Why game. are you doing this to it, me, man? No, this no, is... but, but, but when it happens organically, and it's a, it, it's a win or go home scenario, there's nothing better than that. In, in pro sports, win or go home is it's the great. best drama in theater. And even when you go back to the end of this regular season – and that nutty night, I think it was a Tuesday night to end the season, Vegas was playing Dallas, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And who was playing Arizona, and why am I blanking now? Uh, so it was Vegas, and sorry. yeah, and and Vancouver was still hanging around, and then the yeah. next night it was Dallas, Arizona, and uh, Vegas, oh, yeah. Chicago. To, yeah, that's to it. Sorry, it yeah, off. Vegas, Chicago. Vegas, Chicago, and Dallas, Arizona. Sorry. And it, it, we were all glued to our, our screens, and we're like, oh, my yep. God. Like, the, the, like And – Imagine if you intentionally created that. Now, th this just happened out of pure luck and and, mm -hmm. and circumstance. If you could intentionally create that, I think it's a good thing. I think I, it's a I good thing. I think so too. And now uh, maybe it would maybe if it didn't flow organically from a full eighty-two game season, it wouldn't feel as special. I I don't know. Maybe we can again. That that's an argument to be had. Here, here's my argument for why we should. Again, not even expand the playoffs, but introduce a play-in and, again, something that would let those 9 and 10 teams work their way in. Um, I'm going to take Gary Bettman at his word, and I'm going to agree with him uh, that there is no playoffs like the NHL in terms of unpredictability. As I said, you never know who's going to win. Anybody can beat anybody. Um, you know, we... we just we watched the Capitals go up on the on the Panthers one versus eight. Um, it, you know it. It we we see big upsets all the time. We've seen years where all the road teams have won. The NHL playoffs are extremely unpredictable. I agree with that. Whether you think it's a good thing or not, but the 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 result of that is one through eight is all really that matters during the NHL season. This this. Desire to make the regular season meaningful. All that matters in the regular season is make the playoffs, really. I'm simplifying a little bit, but you, you make the playoffs or you don't. You get an invitation or you don't. And once you get in, anything can happen. You can be, you know, maybe the Avalanche roll and, and win the Stanley Cup, or maybe some team pulls what the Montreal Canadiens did last year and comes out of nowhere and, and just starts beating teams that the season told us were, were far better. That's all that matters. Home ice really matters very, very little these days in the NHL. Um, upsets are far more common. It's it's one versus eight. That's the only question that gets answered in a really meaningful way in this regular season. Are you one through eight and you get in, or are you not one through eight and you're not in? Think about it if there was a play-in instead. Think about now, okay, so now you say, instead of worried about you know that eight versus nine, which is all that matters now, uh, do you finish eighth or do you finish ninth and miss the playoffs? Now it's okay. 10th versus 11th really matters, of course. Um, but also, uh, eight versus nine matters if we do it the NBA way, because you want to play one game in a play in instead of having to win two. And six versus seven matters enormously because now you got to finish in the top six to guarantee your spot. You don't want to be in the play in if you can avoid it. And also, one versus one and two finishing first and second now gives you a little bit more because you're going to be playing a team 
that's just had to play a couple games. You've had time off. You're rested up and healthy or healthier. And the other team is is jumping right in off of playing a couple of playing games. So you've got more of an advantage finishing first and second. There's all these inflection points now in the standings all the way down that matter in this regular season to make it meaningful versus today where nobody cares about anything other than eight versus nine. That's the only cutoff, the only inflection point that matters in this so-called super meaningful regular season. Yeah. Anyway, and we'd love to hear from our listeners on this. If you're if you're super passionate about it, you know, tweet at us or you know, certainly shoot a, a note to our comment section on the podcast because I I think the majority of fans would like to see some sort of play in, uh, but but the commissioner just shut it right down, like shut yeah. it right. And, down. and I know that a lot of fans don't want to see it. Every time I raise this, I, I hear from a lot of fans who say, "No, absolutely not. This is this is just right. We don't want too many teams, you know, et cetera, et cetera." So I get that there's both sides of it. I'd, I'd love to hear, uh, you know, send us a, a couple of lines arguing one or the other. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm like I say, I'm open to the debate. Unfortunately, Gary Bettman apparently isn't. Well, and, you, you know, you talk about the anything can happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're almost seeing that play itself out in the first week. And in particular, when it comes to goaltending, Sean, because I'm seeing... Pittsburgh is down to their third string goalie. Carolina is down to their third string goalie. Wouldn't shock me if Nashville is down to their third string goalie. Like, have we, like, forget about backups for a second. Like, have we ever seen a year in which the third string goalie comes in this often? Not that I can remember. Uh, This is, it's it's certainly not this early um, where, you know, you had, uh, you know, what was it? Three goaltenders, uh, important goaltenders get hurt. Uh, right down the stretch in, in the final week or two, and and now a couple more um, once the playoffs have started. I, I don't remember ever seeing anything like this as far as guys being forced into games where um, they, they were just not at all really on their team's radar as far as, as being a part of their plan in the, in the postseason. You know, and 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 we saw it in Carolina on on Wednesday night, like, Suddenly, the emer- the e-bug, the emergency backup goalie is like kind of getting ready and here we go. Like, I, I still find this fascinating. Like, imagine in the NFL that if your top couple quarterbacks, there was just some random guy in the stands that had to loosen up and warm up. Or like in baseball, imagine yep. if, you know, all of a sudden your pitchers are some guy who is a high school star in the area. Is hang- like, this wouldn't happen anywhere else. And I'm wondering... If it ever came to fruition in a playoff game, would that change? Because I think we all kind of love it. We're like, oh, the lovable e-bug. Who doesn't love it? It's fun. I'll tell you, if it ever came to pass that an emergency backup goalie had to be put into a playoff game, I think we're having a different conversation, no? Yeah, I, I absolutely think we are. And and <laughs> look, uh, I took a lot of heat when the uh, when the 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 Zamboni driver game happened with the Leafs and the Hurricanes and everybody I love loved you, it. You don't, you don't even refer to him by name. No, like you he's the Zamboni guy. David Ayers he's the Zamboni name. driver. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and, and David Ayers came in and, you know, and it was great. And he was, you know, he was on Good Morning America or whatever else. And, and I said at the time, I said, this is a great story. Make Hay While the Sun Shines with it. Absolutely. Get this guy on every talk show. But, but then change the rules so that this doesn't happen again. And, you know, everybody said, oh, here he goes. The guy who doesn't like fun, the the sour leaf fan. Like, of course, it was your team that got embarrassed. So, you know, you you want the the rules to change. Why do you hate fun? And, you know, my argument was what we saw with with David Ayers was kind of like, you know, as a as a parent, when you're just sort of sitting there minding your own business and suddenly from the top of the stairs, you hear, hey, dad, watch this. And you look up and your kid tries to do a cartwheel down the stairs like on their, you know, or like a flip on their bike. And they land it and you go, wow, that was amazing. Never, ever do that again. Because that game, uh, you know, first of all, it, I mean, forget about the competitive integrity. You have a guy come into a game like that. Guys can get hurt. There are guys speeding around at top speed. If David Ayers had gotten plowed into by somebody and left on a stretcher, it, everybody would have been saying, how the hell could the NHL let a 40-something guy out onto the ice with professional athletes? But you know, take that aside. He played well and he got the win because the Hurricanes played amazing in front of him. If the Leafs had won that game, the Leafs were in a playoff battle at the time. The Leafs were right there point yeah. for point with other teams. That could have, I mean, it ended up not, you know, we we had COVID and we didn't uh, 
finish the season. But that could have been the game that decided the playoffs. It would have been ridiculous for other teams to lose a playoff spot, um, let alone, you know, that happened in late February. What if it was the first week of April? And you're right. What if it's a playoff game? Now, it's a, it's a lot less likely to be a playoff game because teams can carry a third goaltender. Um, it's it's a situation where guys are there. Most teams in the NHL, they, their third goaltender is down in the NHL getting games in. You don't want a guy just following the team around not playing. That's why they typically don't have one in the playoffs. Different story. Most teams do have somebody. Uh, the It was uh, what Fontaine was dressed, I think, for the hurricane yeah. last night, uh, you know, sitting in the dressing room. So we're much more unlikely to see it. But we shouldn't see it at all. I mean, it's 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 a cool thing when it happened. It almost, you know, we saw it again Friday night, um, the last Friday of the season. Um, but it's it's a neat story, and we've been lucky so far that it's it has been good stories. Um, but someday it's going to happen, and it's not going to be a good story. And then and that's when it'll change, and people will say, why 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 have we been doing it this way? Um, I, I I really felt like David Ayers was the perfect ten out of ten, absolute dream scenario, um, and and that would have been a good time for the league to say, okay, we got away with it, let's let's shut this down. But again, I apparently it's because I hate fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, Louis Domingue, what a great story it looks like, and it looks like he might have to carry the load here for a bit because yeah. Casey DeSmith has a groin injury that might take him out for the entire series. Uh, it sounds like. Uh, Tristan Jerry's out of the walking boot, but still uh, very iffy if he'll be able to come back. I know we make fun of the Penguins and we're always like, they always have some random guy show up and score goals, right? Like it's the, what what are the names again? Why am I blanking? Yeah, Mark Mark Donk and uh, Buzz Fibbit are the uh, classic, uh, from the classic tweet, yeah. But uh, but I feel like, do we need to also look at the goaltending for the Penguins? Like, does does another franchise have as many rando goalies winning playoff games? Like, I was thinking about this. Like, Louis Domingue. Remember Jeff Zatkoff? Uh, a few mm-hmm. years ago, yeah. Uh, uh, Johan Hedberg kind of came out of nowhere, won games. Frank Peterangelo, we talked about this. He won a game seven for them. Like, does a franchise have more rant? Like, being a Leafs guy, okay? Who's the most random goalie to win a playoff game for your team? Like for the you Maple know, Leafs, surprisingly, is there surprisingly, there really isn't one. I, I went right. and took a look, and you might think that they're uh, well. I, I guess on the one hand. It, this feels like a very maple leafy thing um, to have happened to them. Now, the the smart Alec reply would be that you have to win playoff games in order to have goalies winning playoff games. And yeah, I I, I will take that point. Maybe that's why it hasn't happened with the Leafs. The Leafs like Jeff Reese has a playoff win for the Leafs. Oh yeah, um, that would be the guy, that would be the guy right there. That would be the guy. But I mean, it was it it it. Uh, there have been other guys who have certainly come into games. Um, that uh, you you wouldn't expect or wouldn't remember where you know they're, they're getting blown out and somebody comes in, um, but no, I, I we definitely don't have any Jeff Zatkoffs. I mean, to me, that's the classic one. He, yeah, he won a game yes. in a playoff run where his team won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, like this wasn't a desperate times call for like. I mean, it was. Um, in fact, was he? Did he start game one for them? I think what, I think what happened was Flurry was Matt out Murray, with. Flurry was out with an injury. Yeah. yeah. And Murray Murray got hurt in warm-up and Zatkov jumped in like for game one of a crucial playoff series. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he did. I'm looking at it now. He played he, game one and two. Uh he won game one, <laughs> lost game two, and then and then Matt Murray came back. Um, because I remember yeah. that one being like a, a shocker. You're you're it Total was one shock. of these things where it was like half an hour before the game, and you know, breaking news, Matt Murray's out. Um and and at the time. It's not like Matt Murray was some household name. Uh, you know, even Matt Murray, you're sitting there going, oh, they don't have Flurry. They're, they got they to ride this this rookie. And then what the heck is Jeff Zatkoff? And he's coming in. Uh, that's what I mean. That would be certainly up there. The The Hurricanes um, have have had their share. They're doing it this year. Cam Ward being an example. But I mean, Cam Ward wasn't an unknown guy. Um but he was a guy who had success. I mean, if you're going by, by, by success, nobody can touch the Montreal Canadiens because they had Ken Dryden and Patrick Waugh both come in as um, rookies who weren't, you know, viewed as, uh, you know, Dryden had barely played, Waugh played a little bit more. And the other thing is, you must remember, um, you know, being a, a, a secret Habs fan. Do you remember the year before Waugh showed up, who the big goalie was in Montreal? Steve Penny. Steve Penny 
went to the conference final. Yeah, randomly. As a miracle goaltender, you know, pennies from heaven. That was the uh, yeah. that was the pregame uh, uh, the pregame thing that this guy and then and then he ended up getting hurt and made way for Patrick Waugh and never really uh, um, went anywhere after that. But uh, it it's Montreal has had had some good luck at it and. I look, I mean, we're in a league now where there's 32 teams. In theory, there's 64 jobs for goalies. There's a lot more than 64 NHL quality goalies out there. So a lot of teams do have a third, sometimes even a fourth guy who is good enough to play in this league. But man, you don't, you don't want good enough uh, in the playoffs. And and I got to say for, for Pittsburgh, phenomenal win in game one. Obviously, to you know, go into another team's building and win in triple overtime, I still feel like it's it's the super rare case where I can I come out of a game one win feeling worse about their chances than I did going in because to to win, I mean, what a devil's bargain, right? Like, what what would you rather? Do you want to win game one in triple overtime, but you lose your goaltender uh, potentially for the series, uh, or do you take the loss? I mean, when you're going up against arguably the best goalie in the league. Boy, it's it's really tough to do it with with Louis Domingue. You know, it'd be tough to do it with Casey DeSmith. It's going to be tough to do it with Tristan Jari if we even get him back. Um, but uh, I, I I don't love the Penguins' chances. As great a story as it is, wings for the game, boom, cash back. New lucky jersey, boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk, including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. All right, time to bring back our pal uh, Jesse Granger for Granger Things, brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us at The Athletic. And Jesse, we were just talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins, Louis Deming kind of being parachuted into that series and winning. Now, you play goalie, right? Like this, in, that's, that's your position. Uh, what's the worst thing you ever ate before a game? That you were like, ah, oh, man, this is sitting in my stomach because we, we just, you know, Louis Domingue with the spicy pork and broccoli, whatever, people having some fun with that. What's the worst thing you ever ate? And you're like, man, I, I regret eating this before getting on the ice. Oh, man, that's a tough question. I've, I've eaten a lot of bad things before playing <laughs> hockey games. I, I remember like everyone was laughing about like how unhealthy it was. And then they showed the picture and like it didn't look like the best uh Spicy pork and broccoli, but it still was like Ooh. fresh broccoli. Um, I've eat like, I mean, we go on travel tournaments to, to out of state and we're we're having a few beers before the games. Um, I've, <laughs> I've definitely uh, consumed worse than uh, spicy pork and broccoli before a game. And and, and my performance uh, definitely shows it. You, you know who <laughs> must have been happy with that is Mike Keenan, because there was a story in the 87 Canada Cup that Mike Keenan made oh. Team Canada eat chicken and broccoli. Before every game and that this upset the uh, Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers, which were half of that team because they all ate steak and ice cream. It's 1987. Remember, steak and ice cream is the pregame meal. And so that they went and overruled Mike Keenan and uh, had steak and ice cream and said, but uh, Mike Keenan redeemed it is broccoli is the winning uh, the winning food. 
Yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, the story is that Gretzky was so angry. Like he actually went and personally ordered some steaks or something, and yeah, and and, and ice cream uh, and He's ice cream Sundays or whatever. But yep. I feel like we need to also very quickly hit on Wayne Gretzky's uh, alleged pregame meal that he ate all the time, which was four hot dogs with mustard and onions. Like, yep. Can we just take a moment for all the people who are like, I don't know how Louis Domingue played after eating spicy pork and broccoli. Can we take a moment and understand that arguably the greatest player in the history of team sports ate four hot dogs with onions and mustard before every game and is, uh, you know, clearly the best player who ever played this sport and arguably the best player of any sport. Like It's impressive, man. I, I tell you, I've, I'm not saying I couldn't eat four hot dogs. I absolutely could. I couldn't do much after. Uh, let's yes. let's just I'm taking leave a it at that, man. I'm not. Yeah, I'm 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 in rough shape, and, and I'll I'll also it, it's got to be tough around the goalie. So, man, you're getting up and down like that. That's that's a lot of squats, a lot of crunches. I don't uh, I don't know that the uh, the the uh, beef and broccoli that you know he even said it wasn't good when he was asked. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's you right. Know, like he was. You know, he said, and she kind of reacted, and then he was like, "Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. Um, that's pretty rough." But uh, this hey, this might be the new thing. This this could be the uh, uh, the most popular meal in uh, in Pittsburgh pretty soon. Yeah. Of all the of all the food we've brought up, to me, the worst one. Like, I feel like hot dogs, even though they're like barely protein, they are still yeah. protein. Um, and like the broccoli and the pork. To me, the worst thing. That if 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 you told me which one of those would you least want to eat before playing a game of and, and playing goalie, it'd be ice cream for sure. Yeah. The, the dairy Absolutely. and just the sweets of it, like yeah, that seems just, like just it would a be sugar miserable. rush. And two yeah. minutes into the game, you're done. You've got no <laughs> nutrition left in you whatsoever. Uh, that would that would be rough. But I mean, who are we to argue with Wayne Gretzky? I guess yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember when you think about hot dogs, I always think about John Garrett who. When he was, was he playing for Quebec at the time where he like, he basically was eating a hot dog and he's a backup goalie and they're like, get in the game. And he like, yeah. basically, what did he like <laughs> stuff the hot dog in his pads or something? I think he said that, yeah, he like hit it in his blocker or something like that. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it's, you got to do what you got to do. You're not allowed to cancel lunch. You, you yeah. got to get that hot dog in however you can. Oh yeah, and so like Jesse, you say that like ice cream is a no go for you. Like, is like would fried chicken be on your no fly list? Like, you're about to you're about to play goalie in a in a men's league game. I'm I, thinking fried chicken might be on the no go list. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Um, I don't think it'd be great for your stomach. I don't think it'd be great for your hands either. Getting some grease on your hands, um, like. Later in the game, the inside of the goalie gloves can get a little slick when, you, as you're getting like more sweat, and and I could see uh, eating fried chicken beforehand. The gloves are even slicker um, on your hands. There's nothing worse than your your glove hand feeling a little loose, and you you don't really have like you'll you'll catch a puck, and you, you're not sure if the glove's gonna fly off your hand when you catch it. Um, I, I fried chicken does not seem like a good. Uh, spicy chicken wings spicy chicken wings at least it'll keep the the crease clear you won't have to worry about anyone trying to screen you or anything like that there you go hey (laughs) uh jesse before we get to a couple of uh i think some uh some kind of money lines and series lines that we want to look at um in terms of the playoffs we got you back on after uh, obviously a disappointing end of the season for the vegas golden knights uh we saw we followed along with your postseason coverage of uh, media availabilities, and I thought the to me what was the most interesting quote was one from Peter DeBoer, who made it seem like, "Hey, I'd like to come back, but I mean, can you can you walk us through like where like where's the job security for Pete DeBoer right now?" Yeah, so I'll be completely honest. When the Golden Knights season ended, it took him a while to hold uh, locker cleanout day, which has not been the case. Usually, it's the next day for this team, and there were four or five days in between the last game, and and I was kind of wondering like. Are they delaying this to make some changes? And then the day before they announced Pete DeBoer and Kelly McCrimmon will speak. And I thought, okay, I guess they've decided no changes are going to be made here. But Pete DeBoer made it pretty clear in his uh, media veil that that decision has not been made yet. Um, He has one year left on his deal. And he basically said, I, yeah, I hope to coach this team again. I, I think that we never were able to put it together and reach our potential, but he still believes that this group has, has the potential to win it all. And, and he hopes to have at least one more chance to do it. And he said that he's going to meet with uh, GM Kelly McCrimmon and president of Hockey Ops George McPhee later this week. 
Um, and, and to be completely honest, speaking with Kelly after Pete, um, I don't I don't think Kelly feels all that comfortable that he's also like like I, I think that if I were to guess right now, Kelly McCrimmon will be back. But I don't think it's been decided and I don't think he's 100 percent comfortable in that um, that in his in his spot right now, just based on the way he uh, interacted with us. That's that's my theory. And I'm obviously far, far away from it uh, with with no kind of inside information. But I, I I look, I thought the Golden Knights season ended what Friday night. I thought Saturday morning we would hear that Pete DeBoer was was out. Uh, and in fact, I'll go one further. When it was the middle of this week and we started getting the news trickling about Jeff Blashill, we heard that Mike Yow wouldn't be back. Um, there was some talk about Bruce Boudreaux. I had a moment where I went, did we, did, did they do the Pete DeBoer announcement? And it just wasn't, you know, it was so obvious that we didn't, you know, I didn't even pay attention to it. And I realized that he was still there. I, I, to me, there's there's no reason to need a lot of time on this if you're Kelly McCrimmon, unless you're not sure that it's your call. Um, and that is is what I'm, you know, because even if, look, I, I think I would be very surprised if Pete DeBoer kept his job, but if he's going to keep his job and you know everyone thinks he's not going to, make it very clear, you know, right. do what the Leafs did last year when they go out, you, you, you sit there on the first day after and you say, we're staying the course and you set the expectations. I think it's got to be that maybe Bill Foley or, or you know, George McPhee or wherever it's coming from is looking at everyone below him on the orchard. Yeah, Kelly didn't exactly give like a a strong ringing endorsement for Pete. Um, he, mm-hmm. he basically said he's under contract one more year. We're going to yeah, talk gonna, later this week. I'm going to talk to him. That was yeah, absolutely. And, 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 he, and he mentioned yeah, he mentioned the yo firings. He said he I think Kelly's line was um, you saw a couple teams they fired their coach before the Zamboni was off the ice. They clearly had made that decision well in advance. He goes. Um, I personally like to talk to the coach. I like to see where our views align. And I don't, to me, like I'm obviously I'm, I'm closer to it. I, I think Pete DeBoer is a good coach. I think Pete DeBoer has a effective system. I just don't know if he's the right coach for this group. I, I feel like there's a disconnect between the talent on the roster and the system he wants to run. I don't know if they mesh. I, I think because they're so talented and because Pete DeBoer is such a smart guy, it has worked. Obviously, they've got a two conference finals in three years with him. But I just don't know if you're trying to maximize this roster if Pete is the guy. I, I, I personally don't know. You, you know, it's, it's funny you use the word disconnect. Because I think that would be the term a lot of people would use to describe the relationship between DeBoer and Robin Leonard. As the season has ended and the dust has somewhat settled, do we have a better read on that situation, Jesse? Is there a scenario in which Robin Leonard and Pete DeBoer can coexist next season? Yeah, I mean, there's clearly a an issue between those two. Um, Pete DeBoer blamed Robin Leonard for a couple performances down the stretch, basically said, it's not because of health. It's because he's not playing well enough. And then um, I wrote about it and I juxtaposed it to we asked him about Mark Stone, who who also didn't play well down the stretch and is battling an injury similar to Leonard. And Pete said, hey, he's our captain. He's fighting through an injury. We know it's tough this time of year. It was so opposite the way he handled the two. Um, And Pete DeBoer did walk some of those statements back um, on Tuesday. He said, I wish I wouldn't have said healthy, like probably shouldn't have made that as public as it was. So there's clearly a strain in the relationship. But I do think they can coexist if if they were to both be brought back because we just went through this. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury's agent, Alan Walsh, posted a photo of a sword, a bleeding sword through his client's back with Pete DeBoer's name written on the sword. He then went on to win the Vezina Trophy under Pete DeBoer the very next year. So Pete is a veteran coach. He's been doing this a long time. He's dealt with a lot of issues like this. Um, He has... Pete has had issues with the goalies basically from the day he got here, but he's shown an ability to put that aside and get results from his goalies, despite maybe a a less than ideal personal relationship with them. So um, I don't know how likely it is that they're both back, but I do think that if it happens, if the Golden Knights decide Robin Leonard's our goalie and Pete DeBoer's our coach, they they can make it work. Before we uh, we wrap up this segment, we did want to hit on a couple of playoff series. And look, this is the time where maybe, you know, some series are two games in, a couple of others are one game in. But maybe now's the time to, to you know, maybe you can you can lay down some smart money, so to speak, because you're starting to see a little bit of a pattern 
in some of these series. So maybe you can uh, walk us through a couple of series here, Jesse, where, hey, you know what? You might get some good value if you if you put down some money on, on a series or two. Yeah. So what I what I like to do is and like I come on here and I talk betting. I don't like I don't want to pretend to be a, a handicapping expert. So I like to just look at the numbers and see where we can maybe find some value. And I like um, the at the athletic. We have our odds every day. You can see Dom Lucision does it incredible job with his formula. And I think, in my opinion, there's not a better probability predictor out there. So I look at what doms are, and those are obviously just pure numbers. And then you look at the betting odds, and, and, and you turn those numbers like a minus 185 into the implied odds. Um, to and I compare the two. Where, where are, where's the betting market overreacting? Um, for an example, right now, Pittsburgh, after that big triple overtime win. They're minus 185 to win their series over the Rangers, um, which is an implied odds of 65%. So if you're betting at a minus 185 favorite, it's telling you that you think that team has a 65% chance of winning the series. But the actual odds, according to The Athletic and Dom, is Pittsburgh has a 73% chance of winning that series. So you're getting 8% of value um, betting on the Penguins. And I think that's because of how close the game was. I think it's because of Igor Shesterkin covers up a lot of issues. I think when you look at the Rangers analytics um, and Dom's formula obviously takes that into consideration a lot. I think it shows that Pittsburgh is clearly the better team and it's just going to come down to can Igor Shesterkin overcome a much better team in Pittsburgh um, with a with a worse goalie? Because I mean, they, Pittsburgh had a worse goalie when it was Jari in net, and then it went to DeSmith, and now it's Deming. So like that that part does worry you, but I think you can find some value. Another one that is really interesting to me is the is the uh, Tampa Bay and Toronto series, and obviously that one was tied up one one last night, and it's minus one ten each way. So it's basically telling you it's a coin flip. Um, it's 50-50 shot to bet either of these teams. But when you look at Dom's odds, Toronto has a 59% chance of winning and Tampa Bay only has a 41% chance. So you're getting almost 10% of value, which is a lot. Um, you, you don't get much that much value very often in, this, in the uh, odds makers. So um, I really like that one. And then the last one is St. Louis and Minnesota is also... Minus 110 each way after the series is tied 1-1, um, telling you that there's a 50-50 shot. But this one's really lopsided. According to the Athletics odds, Minnesota has a 67% chance of winning that series, only 33% for St. Louis. So the base, based on everything these teams have done all year, Minnesota's a has double the percent chance of winning than St. Louis. But at the betting odds right now, if you go to bet on this game, it's a 50-50 toss-up. So I think those are some series where the betting market has really overreacted to the first couple games. Obviously, St. Louis getting a big win has has kind of shifted things um, towards them. But according to the odds, Minnesota is still a, a prohibitive favorite to win this series. Well, that's That's interesting stuff. Buyer beware on the Leafs. I actually got to warn you right there. <laughs> what, yeah. So, so Sean, I'd like to get your thoughts on it because, like, yeah. I, my watching that series for me, the first game, I thought Tampa Bay looked tired and just mm -hmm. and 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 I compared it to uh, on our podcast yesterday. I said I look at the Golden Knights and the Islanders, the other two teams that have played so much hockey. And they both were worn down this year and they just didn't yep. have the same pop. And Tampa Bay is obviously more talented than both those teams. So their talent has carried them into the playoffs. But they just and even last night, I, I didn't think Tampa Bay looked like itself. It just didn't look like it had the energy. I thought last night Vasilevsky stood on his head and I thought they got a few chances and their veterans cashed in on those chances when they had them. But I still thought the Leafs looked like the faster, more energetic, hungrier team. I think that's fair. I mean, game one. We learned what happens when the Leafs play a great game and the Lightning play an awful game, and, which yeah. is to say we didn't learn very much. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if one team's good and the other team's flat out bad, you're you're going to get that result. Last night was more interesting to me. Um, I said going into the game, I, I said, look, what I want to see is how do the Leafs start that game? Because this is a Leafs team, um, you know, forget the narrative that, oh, when things are going bad, they crumble. No, they don't. When things are going bad, the Leafs tend to respond pretty well. It's when things are going well, they take the foot off the gas. They pat themselves on the back. They say, you know, we, we've got it under control. We can, we can ease up a bit. And I really wanted to see, was it going to be like 
in the Montreal series where as soon as everything's going good and people start telling you how great you are, they come out and they they stink out the joint in the first period. And they didn't. They played great in the first period. Tampa was was better, so it was a more competitive period. But um, the Leafs were right there with them. It was the penalty trouble. It is the, you know, the fourth line matchup that the Leafs wanted so bad. Uh, we've had a dumb penalty by Kyle Clifford in game one. We had two dumb penalties by Wayne Simmons last night that cost the Leaf goals. And Corey Perry scores for Tampa. So that is a very lopsided matchup. Um, but you could argue that the Leafs were the better team for a decent stretch of that. And they did push back when it was 5-1. And, you know, they got a couple of goals and looked good in the third period. You, you, you don't worry too much about that if you're Tampa because you're already way up. It's going to be a series. We all we all knew that. Um, you know, when you're the home team in a series, you want to come out of the first two games up to nothing. You're not happy with a split. But based on what's happening on the ice, uh, I, you're reasonably happy for the Leafs. You've certainly shown you can play with these guys. You've shown you can dominate them. You've shown you can score on Andre Vasilevsky. Um, I, I think you feel okay about it. But you also now know that if there was any thought in your head after game one, that maybe this is going to be easier than we thought. Right. No. No way. Um, yeah. But you're right. I do want to see how what what happens with Tampa and the, the fatigue, maybe not in the first round, but if they go further, because we have literally never seen a team in this situation where they have not only gone to the final two years in a row. Remember, their first final was in August. So it's not even in the last two years. It's It's right. less than that. They have had just no break. They've been playing hockey almost constantly for the last, you know, whatever it is, 20, 21 months. Uh, we've never seen this before. I really want to see if, if they can make a deep run. Um, boy, at some point, are they going to hit the wall? And if not, uh, God bless them, because uh, they, they, they've, we've never had a team have to face this. Yeah. And like, and and I'm sure, listen, Jesse, when, when and by the way, you're going to be actually sitting in the host chair next week. I'm, I'm taking next Thursday's show off. So I'm sure the two of you will have a lot to chew on with, Tampa, Toronto, because at that point, the series, if it's not over, it'll be awfully close to it. Uh, but I, I think we're going to get, you know, you look at St. Louis Mini, Edmonton, L.A. Uh, I feel like we're going to get a handful of series that go to seven games. Or at least it feels it, uh, like it. So, uh, it Jesse, listen, like I said, you're sitting in next week. So enjoy uh, enjoy the show. Thanks for uh, for dropping by, and I'm sure next week will be a, a fantastic episode with, with a whole bunch of st- more playoff storylines for, uh, for everybody to chew on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, guys. Right on. All right. Always great to have Jesse Granger uh, back in the mix. Like I said, he's going to be uh, co-hosting with you uh, next week for the uh, the Thursday edition of the pod. Uh, Want to remind you, you can reach us uh, anytime via email, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, or you can drop us a voicemail. We love to hear from you and hear your voice, 845-445-8459. Got a couple of emails, though, that I, I want to hit on. Um, you know, uh, let me start with this one from Joseph, who uh, wrote in because Toronto won game one of their series against Tampa 5-0. And Joseph says, hey, regarding that win, Sean, when I saw the score, I had a rando memory pop into my head. Thought you guys would enjoy this. I believe it was Ottawa-Toronto in the early 2000s, and Curtis Joseph gave up five goals in a 5-0 game one loss to Ottawa. And the headline in the newspaper the next day read, Joe Siv, as in Siv, who lets a lot of things through. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I actually read it in my local paper in northeastern Pennsylvania. But all of the non-local stuff was from the Associated Press, so maybe the same article ran in Ontario. Not sure, but that headline always stuck with me. I do enjoy a good pun. Uh, It looks bizarre when it's written down, but it only works when it's read aloud. Comes in from... Ironically enough, the email is from Joseph, so maybe it's Curtis Joseph that's listening. Maybe it is. Um, I rem- so two things real quick. I remember I covered – it was 2002 game one. Mm-hmm. And I covered that series. And I remember after Ottawa won game one, 5 nothing. I went back – and I was working in television at the time for Sportsnet. And I went back and I looked like historically, what are the odds that you win a series when you win game one – with a like a lopsided shutout of five goals or more. Oh, it shut. I no. This I remember. No, this I is remem- relevant to my interest right now. Yeah. So yeah, I so want to hear. Now, obviously, twenty years have passed in between, so there may have been other things. I remember it was lopsided heavily in Ottawa's favor. I'm like, man, history tells you if you win game one with a shutout win of five goals or more, 
Like you mm-hmm. have like a 95% chance of winning the series. Of course, we all know what happened to Ottawa there. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think Travis Yost actually looked at that on TSN and uh, with uh, recently and found that it's, it, it's, it's not 95% anymore, but it's still uh, High probability. A, a blow in game one, because obviously that's, that's relevant also to, you know, if you're the, a blues fan, a hurricanes fan, it, it does tell the future uh, more than a typical win would. So okay. that has remained consistent. Okay. Now, speaking of headlines, though, and the reason why I want to bring this up and the Joe Siv headline is, you know, it, it's cruel, but it's, you know, it is pretty punny. Let yep. me tell you about the, and it's funny that this, uh, this listener is writing us from Pennsylvania because I actually, and I think today, if it's not the 20th anniversary, it might be, I think it's the 19th anniversary of this, this headline. And it's a playoff series I covered, Philadelphia, Ottawa. And I think it was 2000, actually, so it would be the 19 year history, I think, 2003. Ottawa beats Philly in six. I think I know this. I know the one you're going to say. Yeah. They beat Philly (laughs) in game six, and they basically run Roman Czech Manic out of town. I think Marty Havlat scores a goal. Anyway, so I'm sitting in the Philly airport the next day, and it's, it's May the 5th, right? Like, I think when Ottawa beats Philly, it's May the 5th, and everyone knows mm-hmm. it's Cinco de Mayo, which is today. It's Cinco de Mayo. The headline in the Philadelphia paper is unbelievable, and I think it's a photo of Czech Manic way out of his net and Marty Havlat in behind him putting in the goal that kind of iced the series. And the headline read, Stinko de Flyo. Beautiful. And I'm like, this is just a chef's kiss. Absolutely May 5th, beautiful. May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, they lose the series, the season ends, Stinko de Flyo. Like, I don't, like end it. Drop the mic, whatever say, top in there. That's a huge compliment coming from you because you are the Picasso of yeah. puns and headline puns. That's one of the fun things. If you're ever hanging out with Ian Mendez and anything happens, just turn to him and go, what's the headline on this? And yeah. he will hit you with a 10 out of 10 pun. Um but that one is is maybe an eleven out of ten. I, I got to say, remembering that Leaf Senators game, just you know, on the subject of of what we saw with Tampa and Toronto, that game to this day is the single biggest butt kicking I've ever seen in a playoff game. Um, because the Senators not only did they go into Toronto and win five nothing, it was if I remember right, it was five nothing early in the second period. Yeah, and then they very clearly backed off. And Pat Quinn even said after the game, at some point, I was looking at this going, "We're going to lose ten to nothing." Because it was it was Harlem Globetrotters. Um, they scored, you know, like a minute into the game and everything. And you're sitting there going, you know, at this point, it's round three of the Battle of Ontario. You know, you're going, man, this is this is it. This is the the torch is going to be passed. And they if they had won game two, I'm convinced that would have been it. They would have swept. But of course, game two ends up being the triple overtime Gary Roberts game. Uh, he saves the Leafs and uh, they go on and win the series in seven. But I have to this day never seen a game that the Leafs have been involved in in the playoffs that was that lopsided. Um, it, it, when you lose five nothing and the score flatters you, at a <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me read one other email. This one comes in from Patrick in Chicago, and Patrick's got an idea, and he says, "Look, I'm pretty sure this will never happen, but would either of you be in favor of teams not?" putting players' last names on the back of their jerseys. The New York Yankees don't have them. Uh, the Boston Red Sox uh, don't have them on home jerseys. Chicago Cubs tried it back in 2005. Maybe it would be cool if an original six team, i.e. Montreal, would do it. You guys, Would you guys ever be in favor of teams removing the nameplates, the name bars, on the back of jerseys for teams? Yeah, so uh, I... I don't know that I would, um, although maybe for, you know, a third jersey or, or something like an old fashioned one, then maybe you do it. Um, but uh, you know, the, the younger folks out there might not know that th- this used to be how it was. Like in the original six, there weren't names on on the jerseys. It was just the number. Um, and in fact, uh, the uh, it, it was only in the 70s, late 70s, I believe, when the NHL passed the rule said you have to put names on the uh, on the back of these jerseys. And there's a great story where Harold Ballard, of course, didn't want to <laughs> do that because he doesn't care about the fans. What he wanted to do was sell programs. And this is back in the day. That's, you know, they, that's why you needed to buy a program. So number 12 did something and you go, who the hell is number 12? And then you would have to look at your program and and figure out who it was. Um, so he did not want to do it. The NHL apparently told him you must. 
um, or else you were going to fine you X number of dollars. And so what he did uh, is he said, okay, we will put the names on the back of the jerseys, but he will he put the names on the same color as the background <laughs> of the jerseys so that they it's couldn't like be read. Magic the guy. names were on there. But it, you couldn't read them from the crowd, and uh, uh, you know the NHL had to step in and say and be a little more specific. But yeah, that's that is my weekly Harold Ballard uh, being a an absolute jerk to uh, to his fan base story. Uh, you know I, what? What I would be in favor of is maybe the odd time when two original six teams meet. Let's say Chicago and Detroit, or uh, Toronto and Boston, or Montreal, whatever. Maybe for like one-off games, those two teams meet and you remove the name bars just kind of as a, you know, you know, yeah. it's a little tribute to the way things you, used you to could be. Do it. In 92, I think, it was the 75th anniversary of the, the NHL, they did that. Anytime the original six played, they wore their original six jerseys. With and no, it was With no cool. name bar? I, I don't think it had a name bar. I, I would have to go back and check that. I wonder if they if they allowed that or not. But it was very cool because like in, in the olden days, the, the other thing, and I thought maybe this is where you're going with this, I would love to see, um, you know, let both teams wear their dark jerseys when the colors aren't in conflict. Let, you know, the, the Leafs and Red Wings did that at the Winter Classic right. years ago. Red and blue. Red yep. and the blue. Look great. Let the Leafs and the, and the Canadians do that. It looks great. You know, obviously, it gets a little tricky. You know, if it's the Leafs and the Lightning, we probably don't want to do that. But you know, some of these teams where where the colors, are, you know, there's there's clear differentiation. Um, it looks it looks awesome uh, when you have the you know that and and it and it gets that just kind of old timey feel to it too. I'd I'd love to see him do that. All right, let's wrap up. Speaking of uh, going down uh, memory lane, let's wrap up like we always do with a little this week in hockey history. Uh, I got a couple for you here. Let let me start with this one, Marty Jelena. This week in two thousand four. Martin Jelena became the first player in NHL history to have three different series-clinching overtime goals to his credit. Uh, Jelena knocked out Detroit in Game 6 in overtime that season for Calgary. The previous mm-hmm. round, he had no. uh, knocked out Vancouver in Game 7. And play, maybe you could help me remember the third nope. time. No, you don't remember. You've done, you've done this enough, no. Ian. 2002. We're good. Toronto, Carolina, uh, Jelena had yes. it there. Um, it's funny because I think, you know, Justin Williams has the nickname, you know, Mr. Game 7, right? Like, he always elevated his game. Does Marty Jelena get enough credit? Like, I at one point, was he called the Eliminator? Like, did he, did that nickname stick? Ooh. I feel like that he was called the Eliminator. Wasn't I don't he? think so, but that would have been a good one. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe. I don't recall it. Obviously, it didn't stick, but that would have been a good one. You know, the problem here with, with uh, Marty Jelena is when you say his name to this day, even though he had those three elimination goals, um, that's not the goal, quote-unquote goal, that people remember him for. And it's not even the the, the, the moment from 2004. It, you know, people, if you, I think part of the reason maybe the nickname didn't stick is if you call him the Eliminator, every Flames fan is going to say, yeah, you're absolutely right. He eliminated the Lightning with that winning goal in Game 6 to win the Stanley Cup. They clearly went over the goal line, but they, uh, they didn't review it or they didn't, you know, and then some other... Somebody else will show up and start talking about parallax, the parallax perspective yeah, and all right, of this yeah. nonsense. Um, but uh, that's, I think, the problem is as much as he was the eliminator, he it, it, the goal that did go over the line, I, I will I, I will argue to this day, didn't eliminate the team. It should have eliminated because it didn't count. Well, and, and, and in the conference final, he also, did he not? He scored the series clinching goal in the conference final against San Jose. I just don't think it was in overtime. But I think okay. he, yeah, he was credited he, he with the game-winning goal. And so Flames fans always felt like that was a goal because the universe had already dubbed this guy the Eliminator. That's right. It, He's the winning goal it, of every he, series. He was, yeah. He should have been. Which probably will it's, never. It's one of those interesting things. Here's, um, I, I'm always to this day kind of a little bit surprised how many fans remember that, that uh, moment against the Lightning, uh, but they remember it being in overtime. A lot of times, even if, you know, if you just Google it, people, you see people, you know, telling their stories, they remember that moment being in overtime and it wasn't, it was, it was significantly earlier in the game, but it's, it's funny how our memories just kind of uh, sometimes in this case, add a little extra layer of drama onto to something. Okay. One other one, and we'll go back to May of 1995, May 3rd, 1995 in the lockout shortened season, the regular season went all the way into May. 
And in the regular season finale, Yaramir Yager, then of the Pittsburgh Penguins, picks up a lone assist to give him 70 points in the 48-game season and thus tied with Eric Lindros for the Art, Trof- uh, Art Ross Trophy as the league's leading scorer. Now, Yager officially won the Art Ross because he had more goals. And this has only happened a couple times, right? It happened to Gretzky and Dion uh, back in the mm-hmm. day. Um, and it was, and who did it cost? It cost Gretzky or did it cost Dion? It cost Gretzky. The, it, yeah. it cost Gretzky, yeah. Sorry. yeah. So yeah. it cost Gretzky and Lindros are the two guys that uh, have been the victim of this. If two guys end up tied for the Art Ross, do you think they should just both be given the Art Ross? Or do you agree with the, yeah, you know what? Uh, the guy with the more goals should get it. Yeah, I would say that if you're going to do a tiebreaker, goals is the right way to do it. Um, you know, the, the, that is goals. Certainly, we we understand these days is is far more valuable than assists and, and far, far more valuable than secondary assists. So uh, if, if you're going to do a tiebreaker, that's the way to do it. I think you could argue you don't need a tiebreaker. And if, if, what's interesting is um, we don't do it for the Rocket Richard, which is the closest trophy to the to the Art Ross in, in terms of what it's meant to honor. Um, in the uh, the Rocket Richard, you two guys finish with the same amount of goals, then they both get the trophy or they both get credit for winning. I think there was a three-way tie, wasn't there, one year with was Rick, Rick Nash, Nash and yeah. <laughs> and somebody. So, yeah. you know, that it's, it's, it's a little bit odd that it doesn't bother me that we do the tiebreaker for the Art Ross. It is a little bit weird that we treat two, in theory, scoring awards that are not voted on they're just based on the numbers and we treat them differently as far as how we handle ties yeah well that's perfect for the nhl we got to find that little bit of a discrepancy see and it comes full i didn't think we had yeah Yeah. we didn't i didn't think we had ties anymore you do a shootout here's what we do we get the rocket richard (laughs) guys get out there against the against the jennings trophy winners which, by the way, how, how dumb is that? That With the Jennings net, Trophy, the empty net counts empty net yes, goals. And exactly. Apparently, like, I don't know if this year if it ended up, but it almost it was on pace to decide it did. the Jennings Trophy, it did which goes it. to yeah, goes to the goalies <laughs> on the team that gives up the fewest goals. But we count empty net goals in that, so you can lose the Jennings Trophy because I guess when you sat on the bench, you didn't cheer hard enough. Um, yeah, this this dumb league. Yeah, this league. All why right. don't you wait, get angry about that, Gary Bettman? Yeah, why don't you start the Jennings. Uh, show you. Yeah, get on that. Since use use the time that we're not using to talk about expanding the playoffs to uh, to to fix some of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. All right, we'll leave it there. And like I said, I'm I'm uh, taking next week off. So you and uh, Granger, you got to figure out which one of you is taking the reins here. Which one of you is that's going to be rough? Is going to be yep. the 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 pilot, and which one's going to be the co-pilot? Two backup goalies. We don't know. Third, you guys are going to have to wait and see. Wait and see who's going to have to who's going to take the starters net in practice. You know, you'll get the updates uh, yeah. on your Twitter feed over who left the ice first. One of you has got to be the Jeff Zatkoff of this. Uh, That's well, I think I'm show. pretty clearly yeah. Jeff Zatkoff. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. And uh, like I said, if you got any questions for us, uh, you can always email us theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Um, I'm sure Sean and Jesse would love to hear from you too. You can drop them a voicemail for next week's show at 845-445-8459. If you're not a subscriber with us at The Athletic, got a great deal going on for you right now. Go to theathletic.com slash hockey show. Theathletic.com slash hockey show. You'll get an annual subscription for $1 a month for the first six months. You can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That's where you get some bonus content. Sean and I do some really fun uh, trivia stuff from time to time so drop in on that and you can start on that with a 30-day free trial and then it's just 99 cents a month after that hey baseball fans this is Derek van riper now that spring training games are underway opening day is just a few weeks away Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.